let's get down to business. Thanks for coming out tonight. I wrote me a manual, a step-by-step booklet for you to get. Oh, I make money moves. You can't see me, my time is now. What up, what up, what up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Fitness Times Business Podcast. I'm just going to jump straight into it. We got Aaron Pilates in the house. What's happening, Az? Hello, hello, hello. Good to be back. It, it, it is. It's your second uh, It's your second podcast appearance. Your first was actually episode 18 of the Massive Joe Show, which was the, the old name for the podcast. It's now yeah. the Fitness Times Business Show or the Fitness Times Business Podcast. That was an amazing podcast. It went top 30 on iTunes. It's one of our most popular podcasts to date. If you guys have not listened to that podcast, actually, this is what I want you to do. I want you to pause this fucking podcast right now and go back and listen to episode 18, uh, because not only is that going to give you a little bit of a background to Aaron Pilates, where he's come from, his kind of come up story, uh, but it's going to tie in perfectly to what we're going to talk about today. We're going to dig a little bit deeper in a, in a bunch of different bits and pieces. And Aaron, you've been here for the last couple of days. You're staying with me. We spent a whole lot of time together. We've spoken about a whole bunch of shit. <laughs> and it's going to make for some really good podcast content. But if you haven't listened to episode 18 of the Massive Joe Show, pause this one, go listen to that one, and then come back. And for those of you who've just done that, welcome back. Aaron, to you as well. Welcome back. Thanks for having me back. It's good to be back. I enjoy being on the podcast. It's probably my favorite thing to do while I'm blown down here. It's good. It's good. It's good to record our conversations. Not all of them, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> the, the appropriate ones. Brother, I want to get straight in uh, to the fitness side of this podcast. You obviously qualified for the Olympia last year, 2019. You not only competed at the Olympia as the first ever IFBB Pro 212 bodybuilder Australian to ever qualify for the Olympia. So you, you firstly created history just by qualifying. You then went to the Olympia and you placed in the top 10 in your first ever Olympia, in your Mr. Olympia debut, which also, just to give you guys a little bit of scope, Aaron did his first pro show in March 2019, the New Zealand Pro, won the New Zealand Pro, qualified for the Olympia, went to the Indy Pro, placed second, should have won that one, but that's the topic for another time, went to the Olympia. This is all within nine months. Placed top 10 at the Olympia. Mate, how does that feel? How does, like, I know, I know you're humble and you're level-headed and you never, you probably never take the time to think about it, but just as I'm saying that, like, I'm getting fucking goosebumps just talking about that right now. How did that feel? Well, the way you say it sounds really good. Yeah. It sounds good for you telling me about it. Like yeah. sometimes I, I guess I guess I just forget. But um, you know, it's it's a when we're walking into a car this morning, I was thinking when you set, I told you when you set a goal. Yeah, it's a really freaky, surreal feeling when you actually like holy shit, I I nailed that goal. You know, really? like my goal was actually initially when I turned pro to win a pro show within two years. Yeah, so I won the first one straight off the bat, and I even surprised wasn't didn't think that was going to happen. You know, and then even the second one, arguably a lot of people said I, I won that one. I, yeah. was, I won prejudging, but I, I lost by a point and got second. Mm. So I was, you know, I was exceeding from the start. And then I, in the Olympia, I was thinking um, I wanted to be top 10. How many guys in the field? 23. 23. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to be top 10. I thought seventh would be like an absolute best case scenario. Mm. Um 
And you know what? I was ninth, which I was over the moon with it. But a lot, and a lot of people were said had me like eighth and and around where I wanted it to be anyway. So yeah. and like eighth and seventh was Hida Yamagishi and um, yeah. uh, the Brazilian. I forget his name now. So it was like um, Eduardo Correa. So it was mm. like like they OGs of the sport, you know. Yeah. And I was like, um, it was. It, to be beaten by them too, you know, and they, them call outs were next level. They'll put me in the middle, yeah, and Eduardo to the right, yeah. Then two, I'll do two poses, then he, they put him back in the middle again, yeah. And then he was back in front of me, and yeah. my coach said it was back and forth, and he said that he outposed me, yeah. And then they put me in the middle again, and I was like, oh, this is brutal, you know, then back out again. But I was just sitting there thinking the whole time, like, holy shit, I've been watching like Eduardo and Hideo for all these years, and Hideo and Generation I, and we're going back and back. Back to back poses, call outs together, battling, you know? So that was a freaky. I think I was a little bit, I never really get too nervous when I compete, to yeah. be honest. Like when I get up there, I'm pretty confident, but I was shooting myself a little bit when I was against them in those call outs because I was just freaking out a little bit. So I think next time I go back, I'll be a bit more um, tenacious, you know? Like when yeah. I can usually compete, I'm really like tenacious, like I'm ready to go, but I was a little bit fanboyish and a mm. little bit um, nervous. I can so I was. I think that's what happens with the first Olympia. I think Josh, I remember talking to Josh once about it, and he was a similar thing. Like his first Olympia, just sort of Josh Leonardo Woods, yeah, just yeah. thinking, holy shit, holy shit, you know. But he wasn't enough competitive enough. Like yeah. you just sort of just. I've never, just I've never even you, been to the Olympia, and I'm in. I'm standing exactly. on stage. Your I'm first never, Olympia, not you didn't even go as a spectator. Your first Olympia, that on stage. Competing. Yeah, so I was just too much to take in at some point. So I was just freaking out, man. you know. And um, I think when I do it next time, I'll be thinking a bit more, um, all right, I need to be top six here, so let's, yeah. let's turn it on, you know? I was uh, – so that's the prejudging, right? And yeah. just for, for uh, the, the listeners and the viewers, at the Olympia, the prejudging for the 212 is done in the Expo Hall. So yeah. there's a stage at the back of the Expo Hall, massive crowd there because obviously it's the Expo crowd, and that's yeah. where the prejudging goes down. Yeah. And then from the prejudging, they pick the top ten. Yeah which you obviously placed in the top 10, yeah. ended up finishing ninth. Yeah. And then the top 10 get to go to the Orleans Theatre yeah. on Saturday night and get to step out on the actual Olympia stage yeah. in the Orleans. I remember I was in Perth uh, at the time that you were that, that you stepped on that stage. I was yeah. in Perth, I was watching a live stream and you stepped on stage and I was like, man, <laughs> that's fucking amazing. Yeah. How did that feel like, you know, because the prejudging is one thing, obviously, and there's a lot of work that goes into the prejudging, but then knowing that you've placed top 10, you're at the Orleans, you're backstage pumping up with not just the 212 guys at that point, but all the open guys and all of the, the top finalists of all the different divisions and categories. And then you, you, you step out on the Olympia stage at the Orleans in Vegas and you've got the stage to yourself. Man, how does that feel? <laughs> well, I put a lot of pressure on myself because I said to my mum and dad and my, yeah. my, my missus, I said, come to prejudging it and sort of dress, dress normal. Yeah. I said, but pack something real nice. Just in people case. get dressed up for, for finals. And <laughs> yeah, my mum and dad like, yeah. what's that? And I'm yeah. like, no, nah, bring a dress. Like I bought my missus, like, she, had, she had like stiletto, high heels, like fancy dress and mm. I bought it for the finals. Yeah. And then in my head, I was like, oh, you're throwing yourself under it here because you don't make the finals. That was just a waste of time. Yeah. And then I was so nervous to getting top 10, man. And they announced, they started announcing the names and they, they had announced eight people mm. and it wasn't in any particular order they said. So it wasn't first, second, third. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, but, a, but just yeah. by random, they had got to eight and they hadn't called by name. And I was really shitting myself. I was like, oh, I haven't made it. There's no, I'm, I'm not going to make it. Yeah. And then I, the ninth person that they said, that Bob Chicarello named me. 
even the way he said my name, like Aaron Polides or something Pol- like that. And Pol- I was like, Polides. Polides. Yeah. I was like, oh, yes. That's me. <laughs> and then I was like, it's not over. It's the, it's the day just gets better because you go home, have a rest for a bit, and then you go back to the night show and all the other, all the people outside the top 10, it's, that's the show's over. Game over. Game yeah. over, you know. Yeah. So after that, I just didn't care, man. I was yeah. just over the moon. I thought, this is the best ever. And backstage, like you say, it's just pretty freaky. I was sitting back with Patrick Moore, who's like the flavor of the, the year now. Yeah. He's in future, a, future, uh, if he stays healthy, future Mr. Olympia. Yeah. So I we're all sitting with him and like, you know, everyone's there, you know, Dexter, Brandon, yeah. and it's just, you just, I just sit there look, looking around the room thinking, holy shit. And you see that Olympia backstage gym set up for so many years. It's exactly like you said on YouTube yeah. and that, yeah. you know, there's reporters running around and cameras in your face and like makeup artists and there's famous people, have, Mark Wahlberg and like yeah. famous people backstage. Did and, you have a point where you just like, you're like, is this a fucking dream? Like, yeah, I just sat there with my headphones on, and, go, and, and half the time the headphones had no music on it. Yeah, I just put them just, on, and yeah. I just laid in my bag. Yeah, because I was pretty early. Yeah, and next to Patrick, and I just sat there and I just looked around the room, just people watching for like, you know, hours on end and watching what everyone eats, what they do backstage, like. Surprisingly, it was a fair bit different to the amateurs, man. Like, they weren't eating. Yeah. You know, you see it a lot of amateur shows. Like, everyone, Everyone's what they do is they, they, they panic eat. Yeah. At amateur shows, they get nervous. He's talking about this like yeah, 10 minutes ago. Yeah, smashing lollies and sold. Yeah. I, need, I need more sold. I need yeah. more chill. I need, and everyone's smashing rice cakes. Backstage Olympia, man. I didn't see anyone eat for like an hour and a half, nothing. Yeah. At all, zero. Yeah. And then I studied, seen a couple of guys pulling some rice cakes out. Very bland, basic stuff. Mm. And there was no, there's no hocus pocus going on. Like, you see, I'm a. Amateur shows people eating everything out of the sun. So yeah. that was one thing I took note of. Like they were all just ready and they don't want to bloat their guts pre-stage or anything yeah. like that. So You're ready at that point. What are you going to do? To show you, yeah. I think yeah, a lot of the amateurs are panic eating. That's the, the difference between professionals nervous. and amateurs, man. And they look around the room and they think, yeah. oh, this guy's good. I'm too flat. Yeah. But they're just smaller and they just start eating more. Yeah. So and that destroy was their condition. Yeah. Then it was, and you got, you got a TV back there as well and you can sit and watch the people on the stage. Yeah. And yeah, it's pretty professional when your time is up. They say everyone in line and then they count you down. Like when you get up to your bit, yeah. like I couldn't explain that moment, man. I just sat there talking to myself like, this is the moment you've made it. This is it. It's all yeah. done. Like all those days of suffering, I've been picturing this in my head. Like yeah. every day, bro, obsessed over this moment. When you're about to walk up the stairs, yeah. you know, and you walk through the O, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, like yeah. I dreamed about that my whole, you know, that's, that's just a surreal thing. And then he'll go to you, are you ready? And he'll count you down, 10. Nine, eight, seven, and there's like cameras everywhere, and then you, and you hear your name, last name, please, and then you walk out. Bah. And um, the crowd, man, oh. is just it gives you chills. Like, it's the giving crowd, me chills right now, the man. Crowd, I just said to my dad, I was like, shit. I've been lots of shows. Fit X is pretty big. Um, Arnold's classic, and I said the crowd level, is man. just huge, yeah. man. Like, and you can't see the judges because it's so big. But the judges are like, yeah, twenty meters and back. So many lights as well, right? And there's so many it's lights in your like, face, yeah. and there's a screen to your left, and yeah. it's like a sixty foot screen of you. Yeah. So like, I'm looking. But how good is that for your back poses? Though? It's the best of the because back. I'm gonna say that. Yeah, I think I already told you this. And hit your back pose. Yeah. So like, oh, I was doing my back, my arms yeah, up a little more. Exactly, bro. Yeah. Even in the call lights at Expo, they had a big screen. Yeah. And I do my back poses. Yeah. And I look up to the screen. And I'm like, oh, I need to roll my wrist a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. But bang, and I got it just right. Perfect. So it's sort of like cheating a bit, I guess. Yeah. But you can see yourself in the mirror, yeah. in the screen. So it's crazy um, to think, man. Like it, literally 12 months ago, you go back to 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 this time, January 2019. You were a new pro. You hadn't even competed in a pro show. Yeah. Fast forward 12 months. 
You've won a pro show. You've placed second in another one. You're one of the top 10 212 bodybuilders in the world. The most successful 212 bodybuilder ever in Australian history. It's fucking impressive, man. Yeah. Like le legit, you know, I'm, I get chills just talking about it. And I know the listeners and the viewers are just, man, if you don't find that inspiring, there's something wrong with you. There's something the best, wrong the best part, like, you know, sometimes you don't stop and smell the roses. Sometimes you yeah. do, but um, the best part about it is like, it's, it feels like it's my first year. Yeah. I feel like I just started again. I feel like I just hit the reset button yeah, and I've just begun. Like yeah. I feel pretty refreshed. I'm, yeah. I'm still only 30, just turned 31. Yeah. So that was another thing. When I was backstage, I felt really young because they're old. They're all, a lot of them are very old. They're a lot of them are in their forties or almost 40, you know? So Derek was younger than me and everyone else is pretty old, high thirties, you know? So yeah. I want to talk, you just mentioned, um, I'm going to flip the script real quick on you because I want to talk about how you deal with, you mentioned, you know, sometimes you don't stop and smell the roses. Yeah. So you, 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 the Olympia's over, you place top 10, the highest point of your career by a country fucking mile. It's what you've dreamed of, what you visualize. You go back to the, the first the episode 18 of the massive Joe show. When you were first on the podcast, we spoke a lot about visualization and how you, you get to a state where you can just feel, you know what it feels like. That was reality, right? Show's over. You come back to Australia. How did you deal with that, really that massive climax, that massive peak coming back and kind of setting back into normality? Yeah, well, the first month I come back, I was on high on life because yeah. I, had, I had three guest poses or... Two guest poses. Yeah. And two guest poses, and I took the first one real serious, man. Mm. I was like, the last, I did a guest pose one time before that, and I got Tony and John asked me to do it in the off-season, and I was just off-season condition. And I said to them, like, I'm not going to be lean. And they yeah. I said, no, it's okay. And it was, just, it was just, I hated it, man. So the, in my back of my head, I was like, I'm going to really Redeem be that. serious here. Yeah. So yeah. I came back, and I did no carb days and keto days and on the treadmill, and I made it. Yeah. I put it down a really good guest pose for Queensland. I was yeah. still shredded, three or four kilos heavier, the same, almost the same condition as Olympia. So you kind but, of extended that. Yeah, that, so I was still that, running on the high, and run, it yeah. hadn't ended. Everyone yeah. was like freaking at that at that show. Everyone was giving me the like that was awesome, blah blah blah. Yeah. Then it happened again. They said last minute, do you want to do New South Wales? Yeah. Even though I was another five kilos heavier. Yeah. Did that, still running on the high. Then I had nationals, and I was coaching, so I hadn't really. It was still running off the high, mm -hmm. you know. Then after mm -hmm. nationals. All my comp athletes stopped. All my coaching stopped. I went from working n n off my head yeah. and then prepping off my head to just blank nothing. It's like life just it's puts just a like, hand on like someone you. just paused the movie and it's yeah. like, it was just went yeah. silence. And I was detoxing and uh, I, I just, yeah, you get post-comp blues. Sometimes I get post-comp blues, but then I had astronomical post-comp blues. Well, mate, the, the higher the high, the lower the low, yeah, right? Like you've come, exactly off, right, you've yeah. come off the fucking moon. You know, and yeah. you, you, it's like it's like a pendulum. You know, yeah. you pull a pendulum in one direction, it hits you back in the other direction just as hard. That's exactly the way. How did happened. you deal with that? What so was your What was your mindset? So when I got back, um, had you know, I got back home and um, just lost the, the lost of my zest for yeah. life. Yeah, much. I was just like, it work just slowed down as well. And um, first week after the nationals was a busy week then, and then then it was just like really slowed down. Yeah, I didn't want to train. I wasn't even. I got to that point where I was sort of sick of the food because mm. I was loving life because of the food. The food mm. was epic. Then I, mm. when I started getting sick of the food, 
And I was like, just didn't love anything. Didn't want to get yeah. out of bed at one point, you know. And then I was like, oh, oh it's post complex. I've had this before. Mm. I'll be right. But it, it, it actually got worse and worse. And what made it worse again is I hurt my shoulder. And I got an injury. Yeah. And I hadn't had an injury in like a year. Yeah. I hurt my shoulder. Doherty's just before I come back. My AC joint. And then I, I had issues. That was killing me. Mm. So then I was injured. I was unmotivated. I started getting putting on weight, which was just fat. Mm. Yeah, I just went through slumps like I'd never ever felt before, you know. And um, so I want to I want to really talk about this because you know a lot of the listeners and a lot of the viewers, and we've done a lot of content on this already in this particular podcast on motivation levels. You know, how do you get yourself out of whatever whatever causes the slump? Right, you find yourself in a period of low motivation. Obviously, you it was coming off the massive high of what you achieved at the Olympia and then the guest posing and your you know that that massive high period that caused your period of low motivation but the fact of the matter is whatever you do the listeners and the viewers whatever your life looks like you're going to go through periods of high levels of motivation periods of low levels of motivation yeah this was probably one of the lowest periods of low level motivation that you've ever experienced how did you get yourself out of that yeah um I almost turn myself into like, because I coach people, yeah. I start coaching myself in my own head. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and, and when I was at my lowest, me and Jade weren't getting along well either because I was just not my, myself, you know? Yeah. And then yeah. um, that, it, it snowballs, man. Your whole life can go well, to your shit. Well, en- your energy transfers everything. around. Yeah, just everything uh, just goes to shit, you know? Yeah. And I just sort of started coaching myself. I'm like, all right, well, I've had this before. A lot of it can be... Sometimes your gut health can play a role in how you feel as well. Like yeah. if you're eating shit food all the time, if you're like this is the best ice cream pizza, or yeah. can't do that forever, man. Yeah. Eventually, you start getting cooked in the guts. It starts affecting the signals in your brain. You get depression. Mm. And I was like, oh, I need to clean my diet up first because mm. I feel shitty. I wasn't hungry. I was bloated. You know, and I need get, I need to just get back in the gym because I don't want to train at the moment. But when I have those two things on point. It makes me happy, mm. you know. Otherwise, it could really get ugly. Yeah. And I'm at the height of my career right now, so I sort of just started coaching myself and going, "All right, you need to start getting out of bed earlier because mm-hmm. I was sleeping in too much." Yeah. That's another common trait of when you start hating life, you start sleeping in. Yeah. Like I was sleeping uncharacteristically to like eight a.m., nine a.m. and stuff, you know. Mm. So I just started getting up earlier, forcing myself, dropped a bit of weight, forced myself to do cardio. Started eating cleaner and just going for the motions and training, hating it, training, hating it, training, absolutely hating it. Yeah. And then I just thought I knew I knew that it would just swing, and I just kept doing it and doing it. And I struggled for way longer than I thought, man. I put a post up roughly about it. I think I put an Instagram post saying, um, "Going through some struggles at the moment, but I'll be, I'll, I'll, I'll get it back." You know, yeah. I almost wanted to get back into a prep again because I, when I'm in a prep, I've got, I've got that monk mentality and I feel on top. So. I just started, I just kept focusing on my health, getting healthier and getting better, getting cleaner food. It took about a month, even mm. five weeks, man. It took me just for going on robot mode. I was like, this is only going to make me feel better. I can't feel any worse. So I just kept doing cardio, eating cleaner food. And then eventually I started feeling healthier. Uh-huh. And then I had more motivation. And then my strength started coming back in the gym. I had to get a million shoulder treatments. And I slowly started to sway. I watched so much bodybuilding motivation stuff and trying to get my zest back. Mm. And even when I started the prep for, I'm only three weeks in, I started the prep for the New York Pro and Indie Pro only till last week. Mm. I started getting that killer mentality back. The first two weeks, I was just not feeling it. Yeah. To the point where I was like, do I want to really do this? You know, I was just every day not feeling it. Didn't want to train. I just hated it. 
Yeah. You know? And I was like, what's happened to me, man? Yeah. Like, what, what's happened to my, I'm known as this like hardworking guy that preps like a monk and then I was just, yeah, I just, I just kept sticking to my plan. Yeah. I knew it was, it was temporary. I knew it would be temporary. I knew it wouldn't be forever. Oh, short term. And then eventually just started swinging. And then like, I sort of got same, a little bit healthier, a little bit leaner again. And then yeah. I just started swinging and now I'm just starting to get it back now. I want you guys, as you're listening to this or, or watching this on the YouTube channel, to take a couple of things out of, out of this conversation that's happening right now. The first one is everyone goes through periods of high levels of motivation, low levels of motivation, right? No one is immune to it. If this man sitting across from me is not a perfect example of that, he's come off the highest of highs and then experienced one of the lowest periods of motivation he's ever experienced. No one is immune to it. So everybody experiences this. It doesn't, you know, we were talking the other day, like some of the most popular athletes on the world, some of the most popular, um, we, were, we were talking about like rappers and music performers. And, and Buddy Franklin, and IFL players and stuff like that. Everyone goes through it, you know, yeah. and often, often the higher the high, the lower the low. Yeah. So whatever you're going through, not only are you not alone, not only does everyone else go through it, but most cases there's people that have been through much lower periods of low motivation than you have yourself. Yeah. The second thing I want you guys to take out of this is how, how, how action drives an increase in motivation. So I think a lot of the, a lot of the time people kind of find themselves in low levels of motivation and don't start with action. You know, you have to start with just small baby steps. You said, you know, you started getting out of bed earlier, yeah. 15 minutes earlier, 30 minutes earlier. You started tidying up your diet, meal by meal. You have to start with action. And it doesn't have to be massive action. It needs to be small steps, one foot in front of the other. And then you start getting this, this the, the, the snowball effect happens in the other direction. Yeah. Just as you snowball into a period of very low levels of motivation, you start with small baby steps you start with small actions and you start to get the reverse snowball effect of, you know, now you're getting out, up out of bed earlier. Now all of your meals are better. You're starting to feel better. You're back in the gym. And then you just, you know, you start getting back to a point where you're firing on all cylinders. Yeah. I think that a lot of people, when they experience low levels of motivation, don't want to take action. And then they slip further into low levels of motivation. Because yeah. they, you know, instead of what you, you take the sleeping, for example, you know, you, you, you figured out you were sleeping too much. So you yeah. decided to peg that back, get up earlier. A lot of people would just go, well, fuck, I'm, you know, I'm, not, I'm not, I'm feeling sorry for myself. I might sleep more. Yeah. Well, they turn to alcohol and drugs and things like that. So that, Mate, there's a at, least, different at least things. I didn't go down that path, but yeah. I know a few, tr I've watched a couple of podcasts before, a couple yeah. of tricks how to get out of this. Yeah. And then one of them was what I heard was that you started getting started getting bed out earlier, and then little things like making your bed. So get out of bed earlier, make Baby your bed. Steps, man. And, and when you're some reason, another one I read where you, when your room's clean and your house is clean and you make your bed, it makes yep. you feel a bit happier. Yeah. So and I, when I was getting lazier and lazier and feeling sorry for myself, I started the same thing. I started just throwing clothes on the ground. I wasn't making my bed. Yeah. I was getting I, the slippery slope. I got a bit man. more of a better of a better life now. I don't have to go to a concrete truck every day. I, yep. was, I was like, oh, I don't have to get up tomorrow morning in the morning. So yeah. I sleep in. I stay in my pajamas and work on my laptop. Yeah. Till lunchtime. And that was just putting me in a shitty mood. So I started getting up earlier, making my bed, clean, clean shaven, putting like a uniform on. Sometimes mm. I put my PT uniform on when I wasn't really PTing. Yeah. And I go to the gym and start getting in proper, proper routine again. Yeah. And then collectively, I just knew if I, if I kept this up, I would sway it back. 
and that just started happening, you know. So. And you know what? You know what it boils down to, man. Like fundamentally, what it boils down to is making promises to yourself that you keep. Yeah. So when you're when you're in that you're sleeping in, you make a promise that okay, tomorrow instead of getting up out of bed at eight. I'm going to get up out of bed at 7.30. Yeah. And, and, 7:30 I, and I had a couple comes, of days where I failed at it. Of course. Where I'm like, I'm going to get up early tomorrow and then I failed. Yeah. It was, this was the hardest I've ever had to get out of this, bed. But this and is, then I failed again. And then I was like, yep. so then I, and I, I said to myself, I'm not pissed off enough. Yeah. Again, I think I, made, I think I failed five days straight. Yeah. Then I got so pissed off. Yep. The seventh day or whatever, I got up at like 5 a.m. Yep. And I was angry, man. I got yep. up and I was like... F this, I'm over this. Like I'm really over it now. Yeah. You know, then I so snapped and that's why I think I've got a post up about you're not being you're not pissed off enough. Yeah. And now I got really pissed off. And then I did cardio, I got out of bed, I made my meals, I was like, no more. That is it. That's the that's last it. that's the last That's chance. the last straw. You pushed me too far Man, now. I you know I one hundred percent feel you on that because yeah. I've been in exactly situations where I was like, I'm just not angry enough yeah, about, like the current, about the current about the current circumstances. Yeah. And when I got to that point where I was fucking pissed, you snap. I just that's where that was the yeah. driver for me and yeah. that sparked the action and then as soon as the action started and I started making promises and I started keeping those fucking promises to myself that's what starts the increase in motivation and then that increase in motivation drives further action and further promises that you keep to yourself and you start climbing the rungs of the ladder until you find yourself back where you are now you're firing on all cylinders you're back in a high level of motivation you're ready to attack another fucking prep yeah exactly that's yeah. how it happens Another thing that you mentioned about the uh, the Olympia before we before we got into the motivation piece was you mentioned your age. So you said you're 31 at yep. the moment. A lot of the guys you were competing against are you know late 30s, early 40s, and you and I have had a bunch of conversations over over the last uh, last day or so about your long term vision and just how you. You're very aware, and it's quite unique about you. It's very unique in, in, in the pro athlete ranks in this sport. Not many people have this awareness of, you know, how much time you have to make an impact in the sport. Yeah. But you're also very aware of trying to make the most of that window. So a lot of athletes will kind of know, all right, you know, I've got like a 10-year window, 15-year window, 20-year window, whatever it is, but I want to try and be the best I can be within like the first five years yeah. and fuck themselves up. Yeah, exactly. Either physically, psychologically, um, don't set themselves up in the background, you know, financially or with a proper support network. There's a lot of different things that go wrong, but there's just not that awareness of the long-term game. You're very unique in the fact that not only are you aware of the time period that you've got to kind of max out in this sport, but your patience in doing so. And I think it was real interesting that you mentioned your age compared to the other competitors who you're, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to get to that top position at the yeah. Olympia, obviously. Where, where does that come from? What, what kind of drives that mindset and that thought process? I guess I just, um, I've looked at all a lot of the successful bodybuilders, and I and I'm sort of not delusional on how long it takes. And and yeah. then if you're enjoying the journey, where I'm loving the journey, yeah. So I don't feel no rush at the moment to try and be Mr. Olympia in two years or whatever. And and I know in this sport, if you t if you can take your time and you keep your body healthy, there's no doubt I'm 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 excelling at the moment year to year at a pretty steep incline. Yeah. So I'm happy as Larry to keep this same pace as long as I can keep it. 
at, at this pace. So if I can stay healthy, I'm happy to keep going at this rate because I'm enjoying the journey on the way up. And I know, you know, in regards of setting yourself up, like yeah. I'm so um, confident in where I'm going and where if I look back at how quick I've come up, that's why I've planted the seeds. Like I've created the website, my brand, my, my coaching. I've got, you know, a few businesses because I've planted all that mm. so I can – Make sure while I'm on this come up that I'm financially capitalizing as much as humanly possible. Yeah. So if it does fall to shit, then I'm still set up. And if it doesn't, I'm, as I said, capitalizing as much as possible on the way up to ensure that I can do it for a longer time. And, you know, I'm happy. If it takes me to 40, it takes me to 40. Like, it's yeah. nine more years, but I'm enjoying the rise up. So I'm just not delusional on how quick it takes. It's a long journey. You know? I think it's the, it's the difference in, in mindset about focusing on the destination and focusing on the journey. And I think, you know, if one end of the spectrum is a hundred percent focused on the destination and the achievements and the other end of the spectrum is a hundred percent focused on the journey, you kind of, you know, teeter in the middle a little bit. Obviously you're pushing for the destination, the achievements, and you know what you're trying to achieve and you're well aware of what that's going to take and you practice visualization and you get to a state where you can't, you know what it feels like to be called out as the very, as the first place as Mr. Olympia. But at the same time, you have this incredible appreciation for the journey that it's going to take to get there. And you're happy to, 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 to play that journey in order to get to that destination. And I think that's probably what makes your mindset so unique. It's almost like, you know, you, you kind of enjoy the marathon rather than the sprint, Yeah, you know, knowing I that the finish line is there, right? But it's a much longer race than, than some people are, are really aware of. Yeah, I think if you can fall in love with the journey, yeah. like, don't get me wrong, there's components of prep where it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's horrible. Like, it's like a hell that's not, yeah. they can't explain, but... Yeah. I enjoy being being able to do that mm. and do things that people don't want to do. Yeah, they think like he's he's crazy. How can you do that? I yeah. like to be that guy. Like, people go, holy shit! Like, how can you keep doing this? Mm. You know, I sort of fall in love with the journey. And for me, most most of the prep is pretty fun. Like, I I, I enjoy being. It takes me about a month every prep to get to that mentality that I told you about, yeah. and, it, and it reaches a height where I just feel like I think I spoke about it in the lab last podcast crazy productive mm. like everything in my life just excels tenfold yeah my business does my sponsors and promoting sponsors does like my I have more income because i'm so productive i'm like on another level it's like i'm on, I'm on the limitless pool 24 7 yeah and i like being in that zone and that's just what i'm prepping so i'm happy to keep doing that every year year to year because i'm just progressing at a very fast rate yeah so Regardless of what the finish line is, I'm happy just to keep doing that. What advice can you give to athletes who perhaps don't have the same mindset? Athletes who are so focused on, and we see this a lot in amateurs is probably the most magnified because, you know, every amateur wants to turn pro and they want to, they want to turn pro as quickly as possible. And then when you get into the pro league, then there's a lot of pros who want to fucking win an Olympia title, like within two years, you know, as quickly as possible. And it's, it's a hundred percent, destination focus and they just don't have the awareness around building the foundation that's going to allow them to do that because it's not going to happen in fucking two years it's going to take five to ten in most cases once you even become a pro to get to the top level of the pro ranks just no awareness of actually setting a foundation that's going to allow them to be physically healthy enough mentally healthy enough financially healthy enough to even travel that journey 
What advice could you give? How do you how do you start changing someone's mindset, changing someone's awareness around that? Yeah, some of the athletes that come to me um, say that they say to me, "I want to be pro." Yeah, I'm sure you get it a lot. Quick, sometimes it's pretty quick, man. It's like yeah. I want to be a pro within two years. Yeah, and I'm like, and they haven't even competed before. And I just say, what I was like, I was like, as an amateur, my first goal was to win a show. Yeah, plural. It was just to show it all. You know? Yeah, and then um. And then it was just win Mr. Australia, and then I, then win an Arnold Classic, and then I just went. And I just loved competing. You have to love what you do. You have yeah. to love. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it won't last if you don't love it. Yeah. You know, you have to love the. Not to keep saying the same thing, but you have to love the journey. Like I love my amateur career because I was winning a lot. I hardly ever lost. Mm. So who who doesn't like winning? So I loved the amateur career. I, at some points, I was like, you know, I didn't care about being pro until everyone was literally saying it every time I competed. Oh, he should be pro. You know, so you got to really, really enjoy that part of the journey, you know. You know um, how I like to think about, and I've had this conversation with um, with a bunch of pro athletes who have a very destination-focused mindset, is I go, I actually, I, I, I get a piece of paper out and I draw a timeline and I go, all right, this is when you started competing. This is when you turned pro. That was the length of your amateur career. You are, you know, 31, 33 35, whatever the age is, this is physically, if you take good care of your health, how much time you have in the pro league, this is what the entire journey looks like. Do you want to make it to the end of that journey? Or are you going to do some dumb shit or not set yourself up with a, with the correct foundation that allows you to go that full length? And instead of your pro career finishing at 42, you're done by the time you're 36. And I literally use a visual timeline and go, where, where do you want to fall? Where do you want to fall on this line? Because the way you're going at the moment, your pro career is over at 36. Oh, that's just, a, yeah. That's just. A, or whatever the fucking number is. Some guys are doing some stupid shit. But one thing that I'm big on, and yeah. I've spoken about this before, especially now that, but I was already big on it before he was born, but being, yeah. being a father. Yeah. But making sure I was healthy as possible. Getting, I've had six blood tests in the last 12 months. Yeah. You know, and I'm very, um, thorough with reading them and knowing what to do and I get better mm. at it. I take notes, what worked last time, what worked this time in yeah. regards of detox protocols and what to look for, what blood markers to look for. And like even my coach, he's a, he's very clued up, he's a scientist. So yeah. he gave me a couple of new markers that I wasn't monitoring mm. and I've really got it down pat. And I, once I realised, all right, I can do this three, four shows a year is a, is a big year. Yeah. I can do that like I did this year and I'm healthy as anything, which I am. Yeah. I think, all right, that was perfect. Okay, I gained couple kilos of muscle then i realized oh, i've got five more kilos to fill this division now to be mm. my maximum size so to be a, a, a big enough in that division i feel i'm going to need at least another f- four years mm. to be at the top of the weight mm. so that's why i'm seeing no rush and i'm happy like at this weight and at giving up five or six kilos i'm still winning shows and mm. getting top 10 at olympia at 91 kilos on stage when i could be 96 so and i will refuse i refuse to rush it and damage my health. I will not do that. So let me ask you a question. I haven't actually asked you this yet. Yeah. How long of a pro career do you think you're going to have in your mind? When's it up? When's the time up? I would like to go to at least 40. Yeah. You know, cause like I knew you'd be able to answer it without yeah. having asked you that. Yeah. I've, and yeah. the thing is I've asked a, a lot of other athletes that, and they can't tell me they don't know. Well, I, yeah, I'm having a ball at the moment. Yeah. Like I'm not, I was tired after the Olympia, obviously, because it was a big year. Yeah. But, like, I look at my mate Galley, who's one of my closest mates, Michael Galley. Like, yeah. he's just like me. And yeah. he's, like, 43. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, and 
he still seems young, and I, I would like to at least get on forty. You know, at, at least like it, that would be a minimum. To be honest, that's why I'm in no rush. That's yeah. why I'm just like, man, I'm having fun doing this. Like, yeah. if I'm top three every pro show that I do outside of Olympia, I'm like, man, I'm happy. I'm happy to do that for nine years. Yeah. It's, just that focus on the journey is is so um, so powerful and so valuable, man. You should be very proud of yourself for that yeah. because it's I guess, very unique. I guess what people need to think about with their case in regards of listeners listening to this yeah. is your journey may not be as fun as what mine was because mm. I talk about the journey being fun, but mm. as my amateur career was, I was winning everything. Mm. So that was pretty fun. But you know, some of these listeners, might, you may need to eat a little bit more shit to get to the top. Mm. You know what I mean? Like Gary mm. talks about mm. all that. You know, like your journey might not be as fun. So, are you truly? Do you truly love the sport? Yeah. Because you might have to get whooped a few times for a while before 100%. you start coming up. And some people need to weigh that up. Are they in it for the long haul? Because they're going to have to do it even longer and harder. Yeah. Because if they're getting whooped at the start, it's going to take longer. Dude, you know that was, that's mean? that's my. You just described my journey. It yeah. took me fucking twelve years to turn pro. There's a girls like that bikini athletes. I can yeah. name three right now. Yeah, and they Shana Baker was one. Yeah. I told her to come to the IFBB. I was the one that told her to come. She was a yeah. muscle mania girl, yeah. and she come to the IFBB. Killer physique. Mm. She's they were giving her like seventh, eighth, sixth, and I was like, damn. And I said to her, just stick to it. Stick to Keep it. Keep going. Did two yeah. years of the worst placings. Then yeah. bang, wins pro card. Yeah. And like she had to eat shit for only two years, but she was getting whooped every lineup, like yeah. getting pretty bad placings. Yeah. And then it happens. So the journey. You got to just enjoy doing it, or you just, I don't think you'll ever last. I want to dive into a little bit more um, business focus now because you uh, um, you have a lot of exposure to a lot of different parts of of business. Obviously, you have your own um, business completely outside of fitness, which is the concrete trucks. You then have your own. You got a couple of businesses inside the fitness industry. You have your coaching business. Uh, you have your own personal brand, which is AP. Uh, and then you're involved with a lot of uh, different sponsors as well. Obviously, yeah. Massive Joe's and TMJ Apparel. You've got yeah. your food sponsor. You've got your skincare sponsor. Um, you know, you, you've got a lot of balls that you're juggling yeah. <laughs> in terms of the business side of things. Yeah. I want to talk particularly about the athlete sponsorship side of things because you – I guess this is probably a, a, a product of your exposure to different types of businesses and that the fact that you can put actually a business owner's hat on, you can put an athlete's hat on, you can put a brand owner's hat on, you're exposed to a lot of different uh, different parts of the industry and, and, and different types of businesses as well. Yeah. When it comes to athlete sponsorship, so one of the things, you know, I get hit up probably five times a week by athletes wanting wanting sponsorship yeah. uh, and, you know, and, and through Massive Joe's and Team J Power, we have very defined guidelines of what we expect and what we look for in athletes. So most of them don't even get through the qualification process. But when it comes to put your put put, I want you to give some advice to athletes, pro athletes, upcoming athletes who are looking to align themselves with sponsors, and that can be an apparel sponsor, a supplement sponsor, a food sponsor, whatever the fuck, it doesn't matter. You're an athlete. You're looking to attract sponsors. How do you attract sponsors? Because you've done a fucking great job of it, man. Like, <laughs> to, to be honest, not yeah. only is your current sponsorship spread probably one, if not the best, definitely one of the best amongst Australian pro athletes, yeah. but you've worked with a lot of different companies over a whole bunch of years, um, you know, and no one says a bad thing about Aaron Pilates. Yeah. It's all positive. 
Well, that's point number one is, yeah. is your reputation is absolutely everything. So yeah. as an amateur, I guess, uh, when you just want it, your first sponsor, you're going to have to not be delusional and not want a big sponsorship. You're going to mm. have to probably start small, Yeah, you know, and obviously the first thing you can do is win some competitions or get popular on social media Yeah, and then have a good reputation while you're doing that. So every person you talk to, you that could that impression could last for wherever you are. So, mm. like you say, big companies will ask around everywhere that you've been, and they'll ask how you were to work with. And I guess because I've I've been a Sparky, uh, different types of trades, drove concrete truck. I've worked for big companies. Mm. You know, you learn. I get a lot of life experience there. And how professional are you? You know, how, are you well spoken? Do you do you look good? Do you keep yourself well kept? Like there's a million things that come into play. Mm. But um, in regards to the bodybuilding industry, like number one, you've just got to be, I guess, popular and well-known and well-respected, you know? But it's another thing, how, what value, I, I've, I've mentioned this before, but what value are you offering them? Like you can't just be popular alone because you have to be active, doing something interesting, yep. giving value, either whether, whether it be knowledge or anything you could be funny on instagram you know he's like like blessing what i can't pronounce his last name i would do boo -boo. i would i don't know if that's <laughs> great i'll just I do that it'd be really funny but yeah. he, regardless you gotta what, what do you offer man like and obviously if you have respect people are going to listen to what you say but um if you're a bodybuilder in regards of being an amateur one thing you must be i feel is you must be giving out constant information mm. uh, educating and if you don't have the education you, you're gonna have to be active and that's in regards of active i mean you're gonna have to be doing i did all the shows when i was an amateur so yeah. a good thing from a sponsor's perspective as you would know your engagement skyrockets when you compete because that's the way there's eyeballs on you that's people are watching everyone's talking about people you when they're, when they're in the gym with their mates they're going yeah. have you seen Aaron have you seen this he's looking crazy yeah they look at the phone everyone looks at the phone of you it just, it just goes snowballs yeah so you, one thing you must be doing is that active so you've got to be doing all the shows as an amateur yeah and then even as a pro um, in, this, in today's world it's starting to get a little bit diluted the fact of being Let's just talk about the IFB. Mm. The WBFF is diluted beyond words. I don't even need to start that subject. Yeah. But let's just pretend the IFB is the only federation right now. But back in the day, like I told you a while ago, an IFB pro was a huge deal. Like it yeah. was like I think I, I think I knew one or just, two. Just to be able to call yourself an IFBB pro had so much equity. It, yeah, like it know. literally back in the day, yeah, just being a pro, it was like bang, big, big sponsorship yeah. show. Just because your name, you didn't even have to speak, look good, nothing. It's mm. your pro, mm. people pretty much, I'm not saying they throw money at you, but like yeah. it was a big deal. Yeah. When I was coming up, I think I knew Luke Timms was like the only one that I knew because mm. he was Queensland and that was it. It's starting to get pretty popular. There's a lot of pros. It's getting easier. There's more pro cards. Yeah. So now the, the the whole game is going to change. Being a pro is not going to be as much of a big deal. Yeah. Now it's like who are the good pros? Who are the active pros? Who are the pros act, actually doing something or actually winning or yeah. doing something with the pro card? So it's almost like everybody's going to go back to amateur again. Mm -hmm. And who are the best? Mm -hmm. Just being a pro is not going to be enough now. Yeah. What value are you offering? It's like you the, bar, the bar has almost the bar's almost been lifted. Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm gonna read because I I post I get asked about this a lot, so I actually have a, a saved post in my phone that that I chuck up on Instagram that literally uh, is saved in my favorites. I'm just gonna read that. So the post is, what does it take to become a Team Massive Joe sponsored athlete? And this is just a reference point. So the first thing is point one: you have to be 
an IFBB pro, a WBFF pro, or a high-ranking pro in any other federation. So from a business perspective, I still value that from a branding side of things. You are 100% correct. It's completely changed. It's completely diluted. But from a branding perspective, there is still a little bit of equity if you can call yourself a professional athlete yeah. in you know a pretty highly regarded uh, federation. There is still value there from a branding perspective. Point two, you have to either have a large digital footprint across multiple social media platforms or a large personal network with the ability to have real influence. People need to actually give a fuck about what you have to say and there needs to be a lot of them. That's exactly what you're talking about. You can't just have that fucking pro card and do nothing and not actually have any, any eyeballs on you, any attention. Right. If people don't give a fuck about what you're doing, what you're saying, what information you're putting out, what shows you're doing, so on and so forth, it doesn't matter if you're pro or not. There's no value there. From a business perspective, there's no value. There's no eyeballs on you. Point three, you have to have a proven track record of being able to actually use your influence. So not just having the attention, but be able to use the attention for either your own personal benefit, the benefit of your sponsors, there needs to be some some actual ability to use that those eyeballs that are on you. You have all the eyeballs in the world. If you don't know how to fucking use that shit, it's completely invaluable. Yeah. Four, you have to align with the massive Joe's brand, our core values and our culture. You have to be kind, friendly, and humble human being, not a diva or a dick. And we have to like you. We're going to be doing a lot of work together. That's obviously a big part of it as well. And you you have a very proven track record of aligning with brands that you personally align with. Yeah. That's why you and I get along so well. Yeah. We, we just align on fucking core values and morals and ethics. Yeah. That's what we look for. Those are kind of my prerequisites. And, you know, it's it, it's no coincidence that you've kind of touched on a, a, a bunch of those points, but there's so many athletes who... It's funny, man, because I fucking like sometimes I'll, you know, if, I, if there's, if this, I get hit up by an athlete, right? And on paper, they kind of tick some of these boxes, but then I kind of know because I watch a lot, you know, yeah. two, two eyeballs, one mouth. I do a lot of watching, a lot of talking. So I'll fucking watch a lot. And then I'm kind of like, yeah, okay, maybe you got this digital footprint, but you actually are really shit at engaging with people. Yeah. You know, you don't get back to any of the comments when people comment on your post. You know, yeah, you're yeah. not doing you're not doing Q and A's with people. You're not actually engaging with people. And I think there is a it, you know it, it actually comes down to delusion. There's a lot of fucking delusional athletes out there oh, as well that think they're ticking all these boxes, that think they're satisfying all these points that I just went through. Yeah. And I send them this. I literally send them saying, "This is what we're looking for. You're not fulfilling point two and point three, or you're not fulfilling point three and point four. And they think they are. Yeah. Where does well, like? <laughs> Man, I, like I'm, I'm fucking, you know. Yeah, well, the delusion—that's <laughs> that's, that's man. You could say that a thousand times. Yeah, that's just, yeah. yeah, you've got to be, you got to know where you're going too. Like yeah. some of the athletes, it's like pros. A lot of the pros, it's like they've just graduated high school. Yeah, and they're like, so what are you going to do for a living? And like, I don't know. Because a lot of them just don't know what's going on now. They don't, they don't know. That they might have a year off or two years off. They, they don't know if they're going to get Like, oh, you got to be active. I feel like you got to be doing things. Know where you're going. I'm going to do this show, that show. Throw it out there. Tell people I'm going to document it. I'm going to do this. And then you're going to have to go and back it up mm. so people believe you. And once you get a reputation for that, your engagements skyrockets and then people that actually give a shit. Yeah. You know, but if you're not, 
active with it or doing anything exciting. It's just, I don't understand. It's getting to the point where to get a sponsorship at all, you're going to need a pro card just to get in the door. Eventually, mm-hmm. there'll be so many of them mm-hmm. that'll be like, that'll just get you in the door. That's what it is with us. Yeah, that pro card gets you in the door. Back in the day, like, yeah. most people had sponsors were amateurs. There was yeah. only one pro. And yeah. the, the one pro had the big sponsorship. And, yeah. and so that's what I mean, like the bars move now. Yeah. Back, back before, like if you were a pro, like you said, guaranteed sponsorship. No one gives yeah. a fuck. You know, there's that many eyeballs on you. No one cares if you don't know how to use it. You're, you're a pro. There's enough value in that. Now the bar is lifted where the pro card, and this is this is breaking down this delusion. The pro card doesn't guarantee you fucking shit. The pro card gets someone like me who gives sponsorships to have a look at you. That that you know that makes me actually go and go and have a look. That gets you in the door. <laughs> And then what do you do? That's what you I mean. Know? It's a prerequisite to have just have the card. It's a prereq, man. hundred percent. I think like the, you know the the one piece. I mean, I'm going to give my piece of advice as as a business owner in the fitness space, and, and you know, someone who gives the sponsorships to the athletes. And then I want you to give a piece of advice from an athlete's perspective. My piece of advice from a business owner's perspective is you need to come to the table with real proven value that you can add to the business who you're seeking sponsorship from. Put yourself in the business owner's shoes and go, if I was if I was in Joe's shoes or whoever the fucking business owner is, and I'm looking at giving sponsorship, why, why am I going to do that? Where is the value? If you can come to the table as an athlete with that prerequisite pro card, whatever the fuck it is, and you can say, this is the value that I'm going to bring to your business. Here's the proof of how I do it of how I'm going to add value to your business, then you're going to get yourself a compensation for opening up some sort of sponsorship. Yeah. Or That's or, my piece of advice. Or to put it simply, like, are people in a positive way, are people talking about you? Yeah. So, and don't be delusional because a lot of them are delusional, man. Are yeah. people truly talking about you? Yeah. So Where's the proof? If, 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 you're, if you're really getting some massive engagement and you're offering value everywhere, mm. everyone around the country in the fitness world is talking about you. Like, have you seen this? Have you seen that? Yeah. And the question they're going to ask themselves is how am I going to get people to talk about me? But in regards to the bodybuilding world, you've just, the only real way is just to be active. You've got to be doing stuff. You can't just be on off season all the time unless you're really smart to the point where you're like someone like Eugene T or something mm. where you can offer crazy, crazy um, knowledge bombs. That's on YouTube channels and we'll really start educating people. Then you can then you can then you can find that niche. But I don't think any of the pros, most of them, are any on that level. Because most of them are just genetically gifted. Yeah. The smart guys, the smart guys, you know, so you really just gotta be active and, and have people talking about you, I guess, and find they find out how to how to do that. The last thing I want to touch on in this episode of Fitness Times Businessman is and this is a this is a common thing that's come, you know, in the we've been talking almost an hour now almost hour we've been talking uh, is the way that you just like you keep your feet on the floor you, you stay grounded you stay level headed you don't get ahead of yourself you're um, I feel like you're one of these very similar to me I feel like you're one of these guys that probably has a hard time actually smelling the roses a little bit would that be fair to say yeah yeah I get frustrated all the time. Yeah, not being not being as good as I want to be. Yeah. And even though some other people might think I'm yeah. really good, yeah. but I have times when I'm, and I, my missus knows because I yeah. tell her, like, I'm going to be better, I'm going to be better, I'm not good enough, you know? And I um, can feel down. Mm. I guess until, until someone walks up to me in the gym and says some crazy compliment or yeah. 
Yeah. And I go, oh, I'll snap out of it a bit, but I can get frustrated heaps of times, you know. Um, I know what you mean. Yeah. So I, I want to just drill down on that as, as the final point, point of this podcast because there's two sides to that as well, right? It's definitely an asset to stay grounded, to stay level-headed because it's something that kind of drives progression. You know, if you if – you, and this is something I see a lot with top performers in, in the bodybuilding space and the fitness space, outside the fitness space, is they don't actually recognize how good they are. And you, you are definitely a culprit for that. You yeah. don't actually take the time to recognize how fucking good you are, which is fantastic because that tends to drive getting better and better and better. On the flip side, not stopping and smelling the roses, not you know being proud of yourself for your achievements and continuously looking for the next achievement, the next achievement, the next achievement, instead of sometimes actually going, fuck, I've like, you know, I'm really good at what I do can also lead you to actually never being satisfied, never being fulfilled, and can be quite a dark place to be in. How do you strike the balance between those two things? Yeah, I was going to say, you just got to find that happy medium. So um, I leave it to the other people usually. Like I just, I'm already moved on to the next thing straight away. Yeah. But then I have enough people that will walk up to me and mates and like yourself and go, holy shit, man, you, you, did, you, did, you did this this year, you did that. And then yeah. I'll, I'll have a little moment where I'll go, Shit, yeah, I did do that. You yeah. know? Yeah. Or, and that's another reason why I created that like garage. Yeah. You know, you're seeing that I have like a, a wall of fame in my garage. Like I got an idea of Jake Huller. I've got every achievement of bodybuilding in this one in my one garage. Mm. So when I'm on my treadmill, I look around the wall all the time. Like there's one above me to my left is my first ever show. I was like 78 kilos. Yeah. And I won that show. Yeah. And I look at that and I think shit. And then I look around the other side and there's a pro show win. You know, like it's just and you can see the progression as you walk around the garage. As I get bigger, yeah. So I sort of keep that as a reminder, mm. a little motivator. You know, mm. I've got Olympia photos of like the OGs up there, and that sort of keeps me hungry. But also, I can see the journey at the same time. Yeah. Keep where I've come from, yeah, and keeps me just in that happy spot. You know, uh, it's something that that I see a lot of people struggle with. To be completely honest with you guys, I struggle with it myself a lot because I'm always, you know, it's strange because. For someone like yourself, and, and you know, I'm very similar as well, where we, we really enjoy the journey. You know, we really that's that's you know, that's where it's at for us. Yeah. The achievements are cool and whatever, but we really enjoy the journey. But it kind of it, it almost doesn't really fit to actually not stop and smell the roses. To actually not stop and go, fuck, we've actually achieved some shit, man. Uh but then it's a balance of, you know, becoming too confident and having an ego because you see that all the fucking time is people just get wrapped up in their own achievements and wrapped up in their ego and don't stay grounded and don't stay level-headed, which is the other end of the spectrum. But what, I guess, what, what piece of advice can you give to the listeners and the viewers who are kind of similar, who, who you know, find themselves really not taking the time to be proud of themselves to take pride in their achievements, to stop and smell the roses. Yeah, well, I guess when I was when it's all over, you got to have some time off and time some time to soak it all in. And like me personally, every show I've done, I've got the photos and got them blown up into um, big portraits on the walls. Some of them cost you up to like a thousand bucks to get framed, yeah. and everyone's like, "What are you doing that?" I'm like. 
because I, I need to sit there. I, I, not to mention the garage again, but I sit there all the time just staring at it like, wow, like you got a visual look at it yeah. with my trophies there and I think, holy shit, like, you know, and, and I take it all in for a, for a couple of months while I'm doing usually detoxing and having family time and yeah. I just um, soak it in as much as I can and uh, put the memories on the wall. Mum, my dad's got photos of me on the pro show stage behind his bar. Yeah. But I go, it's everywhere I go. It's in his city. He's got about four now. Yeah. And I go, Dan, he, he talks about it every time. Every a friend that comes around there, he talks about it. Yeah. So I get plenty of time to soak it all in. Yeah. And I just know where. It's like a race that I've already seen the finish line. I know where I'm at in the race. And I'm just, it's still got a few laps to go. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I know where it ends in my head. I know where it ends. Yeah. And I'm just like about halfway through the race at the moment. So. I'm enjoying it so far, but I know where it finishes. So I'm like, yeah, it's good, but it's still got a while to go. Do you think that that's what helps keep you grounded as well? Is is that that awareness that we've spoken about a couple of times today already of the length of the journey? Like you know, you know, you know where it is, right? Yeah, exactly. you, you, you know that. Do you think that that's kind of you know because to flip the script, say you're say you're someone who just gets wrapped up in tiny little achievements and you build a little bit a little bit too much confidence that it kind of spills over into ego yeah. right and you're someone who has a lot of trouble staying grounded who has a lot of trouble staying level-headed because you just get wrapped up in all the, the positive achievements and the celebrations and so on and so forth do you think that 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 being able to really appreciate that that end point that journey so to speak is something that helps Keep you grounded. I feel like any time in my life where I've started to get too cocky, yeah, I've got a severe asshole. Like, really? Yeah. So it's personal like, experience. Yeah. Like, okay. Like, like, as I said, when I was yeah. in coaching, to be honest, like I hardly ever lost. I don't think I ever got beaten mm. in my career by an Australian in my class ever. No, I did. My second year as a, as a novice, I won the first show, and then I competed in the week later, mm. same same liner, and the dude that I beat in his hometown beat me, beat me back. I was second, and I, that pissed me off my whole career. That was only novice, but ever I, ever since then, I never lost on a train in my class. So I was really getting used to winning to the point where I felt like I was invincible. Yeah, you know, I was like the whole prep. I was like, you know, ten weeks till I win, eight weeks till I win. Like I just thought it was in the bag, yeah. and I just thought I was untouchable. Yeah, you know. And then I won an Arnold Classic, and I almost won overall eighty kilos. I lost by like four points against Atif, and I was only eighty kilos. And I thought I was unstoppable after that. And I started being like Conor McGregor says. I started, I started slacking off a little bit. You know what I mean? I started thinking, this, is, this is easy. I, don't even have to, I was thinking in my head, I can do ten week preps and still win. Yeah. So I started getting really cocky. Yeah. You know, and even my friends started to notice it. Like I was like, no one's going to beat me. Yeah. You know, and then 2016, no Australian beat me, but that was the worst that I ever looked. And then Armin Ashkenani and that come, and then I got my ass whooped, yeah. and I was like. So I needed it. I so like, is that is that where you where it kind of comes from? Is that where you when you find yourself getting a little bit too ahead of yourself? Because yeah. we all go through periods of that as well. Yeah, like, man, my shit doesn't stink. I'm pretty fucking good. Yeah. Is that kind of where you anchor it? Is going be careful because last time you went down this path, there was an ass whooping up. Anytime there. I was overly just Conor McGregor, Conor McGregor style, I'm yeah. gonna whoop everyone. Yeah. I've had a severe whooping back. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm like, as a pro, I'm pretty. Like I'm, you know, I'm hungry when I'm in the gym, but I'm pretty humble about the things. Especially as a pro, yeah. someone can come along and give you a severe woman. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, it keeps me really grounded as a pro. I'm not over the top, um, cocky because it's just, yeah. 
yeah, the small fish in the big pond now, but um, just my history. Anytime I've gotten over the top and started thinking I was next level, yeah, I got a whooping. Something's going crazy. You know, and it didn't yeah. end up doing me good. I needed it yeah. in the long run. Well, but, look at what it's done to your mindset. You yeah. Know, so if it happens, like I, I know that can happen. I, don't get me wrong. I'm on this. I'm on this fast come up. I've had an unbelievable pro career. Yeah. But I said to my missus, I could be taken over the world this year, but I could just go to a pro show and get fifth or something, mm. which to me is a whooping. Yeah. And then think, fuck. Am I going to quit after that? No, because it's still got 10 more, lap, 10 more laps of my race to go because I know that that could happen. If you're a pro, you can, you can just get a fifth out of that. We're no problems. Yeah. That would be heartbreaking, but that, that so could happen. So, marathon that again. so that just keeps yeah. me, whatever, I'll, I'll roll with the punches and yeah. I'll cop it. And if that happens, then it'll make me better. 100% percent will make me better. Yeah. I won't like it, but yeah. it'll make me better. Yeah. You know? Aaron, thank you so much, man. It's been an absolute pleasure having you uh, having you back on the podcast. Your first time on this format of the podcast, Fitness Time and Business. For the listeners and the viewers who are tuning in for the first time, where can they find you? Instagram at Aaron Pilates. That's it. Just double A R O N P O L I T S, and um, that's it. That's probably that's probably, good. That's probably good. or just Google Aaron Pilates. Yeah, just you, Google. Um, but that's the only social handle that I really. Yeah, I just I did start a TikTok. Yeah. You, you started a TikTok too? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course, <laughs> of course. Still trying to get my hands around yeah, TikTok. Yeah, I think Instagram is still where it's at at yeah, this yeah. point in time, but who knows? It seems like a lot of young people on yeah. TikTok, but I don't yeah. know. Yeah, but at Aaron Pilates. Guys, yeah. if you've been listening, you've been watching, and you have experienced value from this podcast, I'm sure that all of you have, because it's just, whenever you and I sit down, Sometimes we're like not recording a conversation and we're having a conversation like last night at my house. Yeah. Like, fuck, we should be recording this. <laughs> There's so much goodness that comes out. But if you guys have been listening and you've experienced value in this podcast, we only ask one thing in return. This podcast is 100% free, no sponsors, none of that bullshit. The one thing we ask in return is that you share this podcast. Person to person, next time a conversation comes out about, you know, a cool movie you've seen or something you listen to, a new song, whatever. Throw this podcast in there, it's time for this podcast. Or what's really cool is if you take a screenshot of whatever podcasting platform you're listening to, iTunes, Spotify, whatever it is, post that screenshot in your Instagram story, tag at Aaron Pilates, tag myself at Joseph Menzel. We'll see those tags and we tend to reshare them as well because we appreciate the love tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So just share it around, guys. That's all we ask. Guys, you could have been anywhere in the world right now, but you're here with us. We appreciate that. Aaron, I appreciate you giving up your time for another episode of this podcast, man. Well, you know what's cool about these things? You know, if we keep doing these and this and this keep come up, keeps happening, yeah. and keep you can refer back and think, holy shit, like it's my master. It, it, it'd be cool to look back. <laughs> just give it like away my story, you know, when you look back and think, holy shit, like this dude predicted this all the whole way along. Like, dude, he was a visionary. Literally, before while I was prepping for this podcast, I went back and listened to episode 18 of the Master Joe show, and you were talking about everything that fucking ended up happening at the yeah, end of the second half of the year. Yeah, okay, okay, well, I'm going to keep doing it. It's and then in four years, people are going to go, man, this, this, he's telling the truth. This guy knows what the future is. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Guys, until next time. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Fitness Times Business Podcast. Be sure to subscribe. And if you enjoyed listening to this episode, make sure you give us a five star rating. Until next time, we'll catch you on the flip side.